As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Competitive Kiwis clean up in Berlin. Cupra in front row lock shock slipstream scenes in pack racing party and Sam Smith shocker in not writing the intro this week so I had to do it myself sorry everybody Welcome, everybody, to the Races Formula E podcast. I am Jack Nichols. I'm joined by Andrew Vanderberg. And because Sam Smith is on his way to the World Endurance Championship race at Spa, he's not here, but we have someone infinitely better and who supports a much better football team, Jake Hughes, the Neon McLaren driver. Jake, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Yes, thank you, mate. Thank you for having me. And I can only say I support a much better football club in the last few weeks before that. It's been a disaster of, of a career in football. <laughs> yeah, OK. A bit of an Aston Villa renaissance going on for uh, for Hughes. In fact, I think that was the first place we ever met was at Villa Park. We went and did some filming there back in, the, back in your BRDC F4 championship winning year. Yeah, exactly. It seems... It only feels like yesterday, but actually it was 10 years ago now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which yeah. is nuts. But um, but yeah, that was a good season. That was a good year. You're a veteran now. Another veteran is Andrew van der Berg. And no offence. And Andrew, uh, a couple of races in Berlin, which were back to that. Well, not back to that, but just the, this slipstreaming malarkey that, that Formula E is getting into is, is just getting more and more intense now. Yeah, it's good to be back. And actually it was good to be back at the track. So it was the first race I saw of the Gen 3 in person. And um, what a race to watch. I was standing in uh, hospi- Porsche Hospitality at that first corner and uh, un- almost basically unlimited action. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you could, could want for more. Uh, it was it's quite hard to keep up with it at some point. There was literally so much going on. But uh, if that's all you complain about in a race, then you, you really have got nothing to worry about. Yeah, exactly. What was it? 190 overtakes, I think, was the sort of official statistic on the Saturday. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's sort of oval racing spec. That's enough. Yeah, that that is enough. Yeah, that's enough pie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jake, let's talk about uh, your weekend, and we'll we'll. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to make you too upset. So we'll talk more about your season generally as well, because Berlin didn't seem to be a a, a great one for for for, but all the Nissan powertrain cars. 
Yeah, exactly. It wasn't a good weekend. I mean, I think going into it, we were sort of um, as conf- confident as we could be, considering the sort of season we'd had up to that point. That it was, you know, it was going well, and I think us as a team as well at McLaren, we were executing our, our races very well. Um, but we were sort of aware that you know Berlin is historically quite a low grip circuit. Um, and the sort of limitation we seem to have with our our car and package at the moment was only going to exaggerate that at Berlin on a low grip surface, and and that proved to be the case effectively. Um, you know, we threw every single setup change at it that we could from a mechanical point of view, but it just never seemed to work. Um, and yeah, the, the the sort of area of the package that we know we need to improve on is um, yeah, not mechanical, let's say. So that was uh, that's something that's going to have to going to have to come later in the season and was that then exacerbated even more by a, by a wet qualifying session yeah exactly exactly it was effectively the the, the least grip we have the more the, the problem becomes apparent um you know in in interior for example on a very sort of smooth flowing circuit um high grip i would say for formula e standards you know we we're on pole and able to race at the front um same at mexico on a normal sort of like grand prix level surface um, but then as soon as we've gone to Berlin on a concrete surface, it's it's sort of shown up our, our limitations, as I say. And was was there anything more you could have got out of the, the weekend, do you think? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Everyone's better in hindsight, right? Everyone's more intelligent in hindsight. Um, I think we we went into the race, especially on, on Sunday, with um, almost a split strategy between our two cars in terms of how we were going to um, yeah try and make the race pull for us. Um, and my race, I think if I, in hindsight, gone in with a bit more like Rene's strategy, um, starting, uh, sort of four or five places higher than he did, we might have been able to sneak a point out of it, but it wouldn't have been much better than that. Um, Saturday's race was just unfortunate. I was involved in, in the, the Dan and Stoffel crash, um, oh, yeah. That, yeah, that ended up ruining mine and Norman's race behind. So that one was, uh, yeah, a bit of a write-off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's talk about Jake's sort of season as a whole, VDB, because I think there was obviously, you know, we'd seen him in the paddock lurking as for uh, with Venturi and Mercedes EQ and all of that. And then when it was announced, he'd got the McLaren drive. I don't quite, uh, but you, Jake, as I said, I saw him win his first championship that first year with Lannan Racing in Formula Four. But then since then, it's always felt like a case of not much budget, (laughs) like fundamentally. And I think... When you then have a driver who hasn't got much budget, and you and he, you know, you see him in the, you know, the midfield, and you know, a race, you know, race wins in F three, and you know, maybe a podium in F two, but it's very difficult to judge a driver based on that. And then he's come into Formula E V to B and and been mightily impressive. Yeah, I think we were saying after Mexico, possibly the most impressive rookie debut start to a season that we'd seen. Um, which I think is, you know, enormous kudos to Jake for that. Uh, and like, you know, we all know the same old story in motorsport, especially in those junior categories or where all the cars are the same, except for the fact that they're not, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that you can absolutely buy uh, the best drive on the grid and that gives you uh, a significant advantage. And if all you ever look at is the hard results, then you don't really see the full picture. And I think those of us who would consider ourselves, you know, uh, 
slightly beyond the, the looking at the surface level, knew that he was a, a quality racing driver. But there's a big difference in having the potential and translating that into the performances on track. And you know, he absolutely flew out of the box, and uh, and fair play to that. Obviously, things have been a bit tougher the last couple of races, but it's not as if it's. Uh, he's not performing at the level of the team. I think, you know, as we'll probably get into a little bit now, the, the team have struggled to capitalise on that early level of performance and you know, he's sort of uh, struggling along with that. But, you know, coming um, cold into the series and, and uh, getting those qualifying results out of the bag, super impressive. How, how did it feel for you, Jake, coming into the championship? Did you have a sort of feeling of, you know, every racing driver thinks they're, great right and but did you almost like us have no real uh you know no kind of consistent way to judge yourself against others over over the years because of the lack of budget and you know sort of random drives here and there and and that sort of thing or were you confident that this was was how your season was going to go um a bit of mixture of both really i think as you say it's difficult in the sort of positions I was in the junior categories I don't want to make it out like oh, I'm, I'm you know that I didn't have any opportunities in junior categories you know I, I didn't have the financial backing but I nevertheless got offered drives that other people didn't get offered so I was very fortunate in, in, in many ways to be able to even just continue my career up to into Formula 3 and Formula 2 but as you say it's hard to measure yourself the only thing I, I had going for me was sort of the teammates I had over the years and sort of seeing where they went on to be um and race at and win races um at that i sort of knew well right well if i could compete with them in the same machinery in in formula renault formula three formula two then i would be able to perform at the highest level in, in world championships that was sort of my my feeling and expectation um equally on the simulator you know i had nick and stoffel as as, as benchmarks um for two or three years and i would always perform very well to them on the sim but obviously it's not we're not stating the obvious but simulator is not real life um so i was more sort of intrigued to see yeah how it would go but i'm a very confident um driver in my own ability i don't think i would have got to where i've, I've got to with yeah lower financial means without that inherent confidence in my own ability um but i sort of knew for, for you know three or four years ago that i had to almost try and prove myself in a different way other than peak results in Formula 3 and Formula 2 and that meant going almost through the back door so to speak of, of simulator and reserve driving roles and when the seat became available to me it was about you know capitalising and, and sort of proving that I'm I'm ready for this and so far that I've been able to do that I think. Yeah no absolutely and how how Nick DeVries the other day the, the champion from a few years ago now Formula 1 driver at Alpha Tauri he did an interview I think with the F1 website and the question was like, oh, compare all the cars you've driven, whatever. He's obviously like, obviously the F1 car is the quickest. But he said the one that stands out is Formula E because it's just so mentally taxing in the in the races. What have you made of that element of it? Were you fairly, you knew what to expect having been a reserve driver for a few years, but then was it still different when you got in? Were you like, oh, I thought this would be hard, but actually it's really hard. And also a little bit about the sort of slipstreaming races we see these days. How difficult are they to manage? Yeah, I mean, on the first part, obviously I've had sort of two or three years in the background to sort of be a sponge and learn as much as I could and listen to all the radio communications during races. Just sort of knew how it sounds, but it's very different when you experience it for your, uh, 
for yourself for the first time. You know, on a simulator, everything is kind of like a flat race, as we would call it. There's no cars around. It's easy to manage your energy. It's easy to manage what the team are asking you to do on the radio in terms of switch changes, for example. But when you're being crashed into in the middle of a hairpin (laughs) in your gear every lap every lap and you're having to do encryption call outs every lap you're getting switch changes every lap you know there's different drivers with different strategies to you in terms of energy management whether they spend it early on but that has a massive impact on how you need to react very quickly to be able to not let the race fall away uh, run away with itself from you Um, so that's been extremely challenging I mean I I think that clip after the race in Mexico went a bit popular let's say on the in the driver's room when I arrived on the sofa and said it was the most challenging race I, I'd never done and that that's absolutely true you know mentally it was a lot to deal with um, and I've had a lot of preparation as a, in terms of as a rookie um, that I wouldn't have other rookies might not have otherwise had um, so yeah I completely agree with Nick it's the toughest championship I've experienced so far especially mentally um, in terms of the racing that we're seeing at the moment it's it's unlike anything i've ever experienced um i mean the the only thing i can almost liken it to would be like what i've seen of cadet kart racing Mm. where there's absolutely no power and and they're all sort of nose to tail they're all slipstream the whole race there's over three or four or five overtakes every single lap of the lead but i never experienced that because i was too old when i started um and i don't think they would have allowed me to race in cadets when i was 16 um but it, it, it's, yeah, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced, you know, and, and in Sao Paulo, I was sort of like on the, I was in P7, P8, most of the race and, you know, blissfully kind of out of the way of all the drama somehow, almost by, almost by luck and managed to have quite a smooth race and, and bring it home in the points in P8. But Berlin was really the first, uh, well, it was, it's the third race in a row. I think we've kind of had this level type of racing, let's say since Brazil, but I was in mid pack and, I can't describe to you how, what, it, what it was like, honestly. Um, you know, we're three or four wide into every single corner. We're cruising into some of the slow speed corners because the the Constantino effect is so much. And there's drivers just taking the, you know, trying to look around the outside and sometimes getting three places and sometimes losing three places. You know, there's front wings flying everywhere because it, it's just so hard at that sort of distance between cars not to hit the back of someone in a slow speed corner. Um and yeah, it's when it when you then getting told to manage your energy, it's like <laughs> it feels like it feels like you can't have one without the other somehow. But um, yeah, it's it's some teams are managing it quite well, I think. Do you think this is due to the type of tracks we've had for the last two, Sao Paulo and and now Tempoff, allowing you to race in that way? It it won't be quite like this in Monaco, surely. I, yeah, I, I have that assumption as well. Um, I think. Before Sao Paulo, we were—I think that was the—we were expecting, you know, a very energy-sensitive race, as we like to call it in the paddock, um, and that just means effectively a lot of coasting, a lot longer coasting periods. Let's say, um, then when you um, sort of throw into the mix uh, a sort of track layout that provides, you know, three or four chances to overtake every single lap, like a little bit in Brazil, um, but I think Berlin was even more than that. You sort of have a, a, a scenario where you want to almost as a fan watching, you might say to the, you might want to say to the leader and, and shake him and just say, why don't you just pull away? Yeah. But yeah. It, it's stretch energy. It, yeah. But you, you, the, if the leader just goes, the, the following pack will just go with him and be saving point one point uh, one five kilowatts per lap, which is huge. 
And that's what we're that's what we're seeing this year with the Gen Three car because the drag of the car is quite high. Then when you throw an energy sensitivity, then when you throw an overtaking, and you basically have perfect storm for this type of racing. Um, I think yeah, when we go to tracks where the overtaking opportunity is a little bit less obvious, uh, maybe like Monaco, and potentially tracks that are a little bit less energy sensitive as well. Um, I think Monaco as well won't be as energy sensitive as as Berlin, hopefully. Then we, I'd like to think that we would see sort of more, more like Cape Town or or, or Diria and these kind of races where you just get the natural car performance shake out the, the result, so to speak. You must be looking forward to Monaco then to to throw it forward a little bit because I mean, as Formula E tracks go, it's the it's the smoothest, grippiest one out there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah exactly um, I was again I was asked I was asked a lot of that in the media pen afterwards uh, about Monaco and yeah the I don't think it's uh, telling any secret that I think we're kind of looking forward to Monaco more than we more than we were Berlin um, as you say very smooth very high grip um, a lot of you know in, in when you talk about F1 in Monaco a lot of the corners are seen as as always the tra- whole track is seen as very slow speed let's say, but in Formula E, I mean, I'm not driven there myself yet, but I'm pretty sure it will feel like this. In Formula E, it will feel more like a medium speed track. Let's say the sort of the corner speeds are, are more in, in the range for us as medium speed corners. So it's a bit more flowing. Um, and that's, that has suited our, our car so far this year quite well. You know, if you look at Diria, very high grip, very smooth, very flowing, a lot of left and right. Um, and we performed very well there. So I'm sort of quietly hope um, you know, quietly confident, let's say, that it will be better for us in Monaco, definitely. Yeah. Um, and just a word on, I mean, so is that the reason that, is it the nature of the tracks that are the reason things have switched around a bit from, you know, start of the year looking strong, Berlin having a difficult one? It's it's not that it's not the, the team struggling or the powertrain going backwards or other teams. It's a, it, it's quite track specific. It's a, it's a bit of both. It's the, the track is probably the, the biggest differentiator to it for us at the moment but equally we you know we were in brazil and in the debrief and i made the point that it looked like um a lot of the teams had took taken a step forward in qualifying um at that race if not even before in cape town you know you look at the the four ds powered cars and up until let's say um yeah cape town they they weren't performing that well on a whole in over one lap pace and all of a sudden um, Stoffel gets pole and, and Max is up there those up there Jeb's up there or all within the top 10 more or less and the track so the track sort of layout is, is is one thing but also I think our sort of inherent one lap pace that we had in the first four or five races we haven't got any we haven't got any slow at all I think just some of the competition have, have took a step um, in that scenario and if you look at Brazil um you know, I thought I did a very good lap and I only just scraped into the jewels. Um, and, you know, we started eighth and finished, I think started eighth and finished eighth, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, the, whereas in Diria, for example, or Mexico, where we're starting third, then second, then first, we sort of naturally dropped back a little bit in the race, four or five places and stayed in the top five. So that that's the sort of scenario that's playing out for us at the moment. All right, awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Frida B and I are now going to uh, discuss the the rest of the racing action. So we'll we'll let you go and get what back to the sim, back in the sim. No, actually, I'm going to go for coffee. I'm going to go to a coffee oh. shop and uh, write an email to my engineer. 
He's asked for. He's asked the question. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, so okay. He's asked the question. You don't just send him a tirade after each. No, no, no. Don't just. No, don't just empty all my thoughts and, and worries in the world now. No, I just want. I just wanted to ask Jake before he goes because obviously we we have the all weather tires, and this is the first time those Hankooks had really been running the rain. I just want. I know that. I know the uh, Temple off track surface is like nothing else we've seen. But how did you feel they performed uh, in a bit of uh, water on the track? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably uh, I'm probably one of the worst drivers on the grid on 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 that day in that session that to ask about how the tire was performing. <laughs> let, let's say, yeah. um, I think if you asked maybe the apt guys, they would have said it was performing very well. Um, I think for me and and us, yeah, to be honest, it wasn't quite as as difficult as I expected. The tire in general is, you know, I don't think it's it's any secret. It's a, it's, it's a very hard tire. It's it's you know, quite a low grip tire in general. And, and, but it, but it's very kind of confidence inspiring. It's very strange to almost explain. It's like, it's very reactive, but you can feel everything. And, and the sort of natural sort of slip of the tire or, you know, an oversteer moments in traction slides and things like that. You have a lot of confidence in it. Um, so even in the wet, where if I take FP3, uh, for example, on Sunday, where I was three seconds off, um, <laughs> You know, we, we were clearly out of the window yeah. uh, massively, which we corrected a bit for qualifying. But nevertheless, I, I didn't feel like I was lacking any confidence to push. We just didn't have the grip. Um, so I think the t- I think the tyre, Hancock in general, have done a decent job of, um, you know, that was its first test. And I think it, it passed quite well, I would say. Cool. That's always interesting to know because it, even though they're all weather tyres, it's very rare that you get those conditions in which to sort of compare and contrast. Yeah, I mean... It's maybe it's a bit different in Formula E because some of the, you know the general lap time is is always just the other side of a minute more or less. But you know when I was racing in in F3 F2 for example, you'd be on one minute thirty, one minute forty dry laps, and the sort of wet performance would be about ten seconds off. Mm. Um, and I think here more or less it was about ten to twelve seconds off. So it's kind of in the ballpark of what you would expect, let's say, from dry to wet. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, enjoy your coffee. Just a coffee, or do you, or a little cake as well, or are you not allowed a cake? No, I can't have a cake unless I've been on the bike. But you know, you know, like that um, that meme of like everyone who just goes to a coffee shop just to send one email. Yeah, <laughs> that's that. That's me. That's me. I'm my MacBook. I like it, businessman. Hopefully, we won't have any problems logging in. Yeah, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, we won't, won't explain the situation we had before we started recording. Yeah, yeah, it took us a while to get going, but we got there in the end jake thank you so much for for joining us and best of luck in monaco cheers thanks guys see you there looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
Right, so thank you very much to Jake Hughes. As far as the championship is concerned, then everything kind of closed in V2B in, in Berlin, which excites me. Not that I don't want Pascal Verlein to win it, but I don't want Pascal Verlein to have a 40-point lead or, or whatever. You want it a bit closer. And there's they've, lots of drivers have been threatening to close that gap for a while, but now it's sort of really happening. Yeah, I, honestly, when he had that absolutely enormous lead early on in the season... I, I couldn't really see how he could be, um, you know, uh, pulled back, but because he, he really just needed a load of fourth and fifth places, which he seemed to be doing. But obviously, mm. a combination of a couple of DNFs uh, and everyone else, well, the Jaguar-powered cars in particular, really getting their act together as sort of, uh, yeah, as, we're going to have a, a cracking race. And even though uh, there are, there aren't that many sort of individual events, most of them are double headers, so we've actually got a ton of points still to play for. Uh, so I think we're going to have an absolutely cracking final bit of the season. So the Jaguar one-two on the Saturday in Berlin was was mightily impressive. Evans winning winning two in a row. And that is the kind. That's exactly the kind of performances that Jaguar have had up their sleeve, but just haven't managed to pull them out for you know a whole myriad of reasons that we've seen over the over the year. But it proves that when they get it together, they they it can be done. Oh, if I was Porsche, I'd have been uh, very worried about the sight of those those guys and the uh, Envision cars being, you know, so competitive there. And, you know, we talked about the type of pack racing we've got now. Evans timed his sort of sprint to get away in, the, yeah. in cycling yeah. terms absolutely perfectly. And that sort of one lap where he broke the toe um, meant that it, it didn't really matter whether anyone could be behind him and save him. And I, I love to see the way that the drivers are sort of evolving into this new form of racing and sort of bringing that extra strategic element to it. I saw some of the usual crusty old farts moaning about it. They're like, <laughs> quite, quite frankly, don't watch, right? If you don't like racing with 100 and odd uh, overtakes, just, just don't bother watching. You know, uh, I, I mind you, although I can have a rant because obviously I was uh, watching from the grandstand, which is brilliant but it meant you yeah. only get a certain part of the race. So I thought I'd come back and ahead of this, I'd watch the the full races. I don't know how you can find that. I'm sure it's somewhere, but I couldn't find it. So I ended <laughs> oh, up having to watch the highlights of it. And it's it doesn't tell you the whole pitch. Come on, Formula E, raise your game on terms of the broadcasting. <laughs> I, I think it's you can it's available to watch on the Channel 4 Sport YouTube page, I'm pretty sure. It wasn't it when I looked. Well, we, we'll get into this offline, but... Uh, yeah. but um, <laughs> Yeah, no, no, it's true. So do you like this pack? Because we, we had a quick discussion about it last week, but do you like this sort of pack racing? Because it's completely unique, isn't it? Well, I do if it's sort of, as we discussed with Jake there, if it's sort of common to certain tracks and not all of them. If every single event comes like this, I probably would get a bit bored of it after a while. Yeah. But I don't think it will be. Where else can you go sort of four abreast like you can around some of the bits of, uh, of Templehof? You, you, I the racing in formerly at Monaco is way better than F1, but you still can't go four abreast through those corners as we've seen in the past. So I'd be very surprised we see it as a sort of pack race again there. Yeah, uh, but and a, a great result for for Jaguar then taking that taking that one two finish, and it felt like you know they they you know they properly closed in on the on the front runners and Verline in the in the lead of the championship. It's so difficult to get too stuck into any of the other things in the race because. There was just so much, but I think one of the things that stood out at the at the start was Dan Tickton. Oh, Dan! I mean, I was, that was exactly where I was standing. Ah, uh, right. Just, 
Because Van Dorn Were you shouting? Were you like, oh my God, Dad! Uh, I was not quite like that, but just like, <laughs> go on! You know, because you just see him go, right, it's like, look at that move. That yeah. is absolutely cracking. Because... I always had the feeling that the neon energy management wasn't going to be good. A neo energy management wasn't going to be good enough for him to have that long at the front. And anyway, did everyone not want to lead? I'm not sure how it works completely on opening laps now, but just to see someone do that is absolutely thrilling. Uh, But then he, and he was still in that sort of fight in the, in the mid pack before his incident with Stoffel van Dorn, which Mm. was a strange one because to me, well, no, it wasn't a straight to me. It was a very cut and dried pen yeah you know what i mean like it that, to me it was just tictum's fault but it, but he sort of still maintains that that it sort of wasn't his fault somehow yeah well i mean i i have one tiny amount of sympathy with him and that, that is the sort of natural racing line does take you out there yeah but if you've got a car on the outside of you don't do that right just keep it to the right a tiny bit they could have easily gone two abreast through there there was no need for that contact and it happened and, every other lap of the race <laughs> yeah absolutely and then obviously it hurt the uh, the races of um uh who, who was the other guy with it was the, jake, jake and the, uh, natto wasn't it Nato, right so they're innocent bystanders in what was really a bit of a pointless tiff and i think he was banged to rights on the pen one one person that i found really interesting in that first race was Jake Dennis. It felt like he was a man who he felt like it was he was seeing his championship slip away and sort of drove accordingly. I think because I think he saw the race win slipping away because he was in contention but got kind of caught up behind the Maseratis, couldn't get ahead of them and then was just in such a desperation to make that move that he ended up having that error wiping himself out of the race and that was not a it didn't feel very Jake Dennessy. I think that's what I find interesting. He's he's a he's a pretty cool, calm, collected character, to be honest. But he he, he in that in that in those stages of the race, it felt like he was getting a bit, um, yeah, just very very wound up and frustrated. I think I think it was in the context, wasn't it? Because the following day he was back to his old self again. But I think yeah. those those series of non-scores that he'd had meant he needed to score big to keep that title fight alive and in in his desperation to make that happen he sort of undid it all for himself as well whereas he'd have been better off just sort of taking what he had but he wouldn't have known he was going to finish second the next day at the time but where would he be in the championship if he bagged those points he'd be at least third uh, and maybe a little bit higher than that so yeah really un-Jake Dennessy um but every driver's entitled to one of those moments a season I think you just have to limit the number you have yeah absolutely um let's move up well so uh finally to finish off on on jaguar evans first bird second i mean gunter did a great job to to finish third out of nowhere and score his first points of the of the season which was a nice kind of redemption drive for gunter because he's a lovely lovely guy but it's just he had zero points before berlin well him and maserati in general that yeah look at the points table and you think wow they're terrible but the pace doesn't reflect that at all but it was one of, they've been like a magnet to every form of problem that could possibly yeah. <laughs> go wrong. Um, so yeah, I'm delighted for them to uh, to finally get some points on the board properly and to show th- the real potential of that package. Because we've seen in the Penske that, that that powertrain has come on leaps and bounds from the beginning of the season when uh, our normal co-host Sam Swift was completely right in the mark. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, I just thought I just dropped that in there for you, Sam, when you listen. Yeah, do you think he'll listen back? I don't know. Maybe he will. 
who knows <laughs> maybe h- halfway through the world endurance championship race in spa he'll be like you know what this is a bit long isn't it i'll listen to the pod i'll listen to the podcast i, I reckon that's what's gonna happen um we have obviously because it's a double header we, i am rattling through all this stuff quite a bit because uh there's so much they're hard aren't they the double headers so yeah. it's the narrative it's it, it, they're great i think for the spect and just the final thing obviously i we were both at um berlin for that very first season the way that event evolved oh has it's evolved, so different it's fantastic it? and just to see it was the evilage there was amazing and i'm sure we're just about to get onto them now cupra mm. had put on this in fantastic sort of light installation where it was the best activation i've seen at formula e race to date um and just you know uh, apparently uh, it was completely sold out but apparently the entrance and exits there means they can't put any bigger grandstands on they've got to find a way around that i'm sure they could add another ten thousand fans uh if only they could get around the sort of health and safety element of it yeah it's it's becoming a really big uh event now and uh and somewhere that, that people go to because it's been there for for so long so uh yeah that's that's really cool right well you've 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 foreshadowed it there v2b we'll move on to sunday and just qualifying on sunday was the most remarkable thing i've ever seen I, and that's a, obviously that's a bit too dramatic but I, I i asked i tried to ask alan mcnish this in the commentary um many many times because i don't understand how the slowest car on the grid can be, can lock out the front row like if they have if they had made it through to the duels or suddenly they'd look quite good and they qualified fourth one of them did or maybe one of them but but a front row lockout for apt cupra it doesn't make any sense to me and alan was just sort of like oh you know they got two great drivers and a great team of engineers you're like yeah but the whole the whole grid does (laughs) yeah exactly and and it's difficult to find a, a comparative Oh, do you remember when this happened to, to drop in against it? The only thing I would... Well, a couple of things I'd say is Temple Off has always been really weird like that. You know, that, that truly pole that time. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah. There's just something about it that sort of newts, like rewards crap car performance almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was, the wet, it was the wet as well, wasn't it? I think they were nowhere in the dry. They were slightly more competitive than they had been before, but you're right, the wetness did And I saw someone, uh, a comment somewhere on Twitter or something, going, oh, it was all their years' experience of the Hankooks and the DTM. And maybe there is something in that. You know, maybe yeah. they in the, in the knew that they, they, I don't know, just run it a bit softer or lower or whatever it was uh, that they were doing. But um, remarkable. And not like it was just one of them fluked it because he was good in the wet. The pair at yeah. front row lockout. It's, yeah, yeah, just implausible, really. Um, yeah. But I, I, fe- I felt for them because obviously the way it works, they, I think they'd done one test day. Um, they'd had a, yeah. a test day in between. How the hell are you supposed to catch up with your hands and legs tied together? Uh, <laughs> it seems almost impossible. So, and they are there are good people there who know how to win. So for them to get a little moment in the sun because. I don't think they're uh, going to be threatening the front in uh, normal conditions anytime soon. No, no, but it was it was a really lovely story to see Thomas Beermeyer, the team principal, you know, in tears with that front row lockout and Robin Freintz getting um, a pole on his return. Well, he returned in Sao Paulo, but he's been kind of struggling on his on his return because he's so not used to the to the car because he's missed so many races. It was really really cool. It was just a cool story, and Freintz getting three points and Muller getting two 
mean they're they're off the bottom. And not the thing is, VW, not only have they not got um you know, they've not had the time, they don't have the development, whatever. Combined with that, they are they do have the slowest powertrain. Like that Mahindra, I think it's fair to say, is the weakest powertrain on the grid. So they're trying to they the, if they had a um if they had a Jag powertrain, but had lost a lot of time, maybe they could still do something. But when you yeah, all, you know, so they've got their hands, their legs time behind their back and their body is not very efficient. Uh, and they're blindfolded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, it, yeah, it really, um, that Mahindra are in all sorts of bother, aren't they, with uh, with yeah. that powertrain and, and where it's going. And in, in hindsight, you know, the, that podium Degrassi got early in the season is, is going to be uh, their highest point for quite some time to come. So, yeah, it's going to be uh, some long end to the season for, for those guys, you suspect. So... Let's let's focus a little on the on the championship leaders. We've we've mentioned Jake Dennis finishing in in second spot, but Verlein and Cassidy, they are first and second in the championship. There's only been one race this season where neither of them were on the podium. That was Saturday's race in Berlin, but they've never been on the podium at the same time. That's a crazy. We've, ne- we've never seen them sort of fighting it out on track particularly. I mean, I've only just come up with that stat yeah. right now. I'm quite proud of myself. I was just looking at the Wikipedia page <laughs> and going, oh, you know what? They know Live Wikipedia people. You know, that's what you come here for. Yeah, exactly. But Verline, I don't know. Sam Smith felt Verline was going to walk the race in Berlin on the on the Sunday. I know I don't feel that Sam is really obsessed with um the 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 raceability, the efficiency whatever of the Porsche powertrain. I I'm less convinced that it's that good anymore. I think they hit the ground running for sure in Mexico and Diria, but I think now they are about the same as DS and and Jaguar. No, I agree. Uh, they were they clearly found their feet before anybody else did, and it. And I don't think which was got- their whole plan, actually. By the way, I remember doing their, uh, their, their their whole plan this season was to get on track as soon as possible. I think they were the first team to to be running the car, and they actually said maybe they have um, cost themselves some pure performance by this rush to get on track as early as possible. And I think with some of the delays in the Gen Three build, it kind of set them back. But their plan was to hit the ground running, and they they really really did. But I don't think they've got any worse or any less competitive, although they clearly do have a little issue in getting one lap pace out of the car. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think that Jaguar and DS have just risen to their level. And that's great for us because we've got a three-manufacturer fight at the front. But it also means for them, they, there aren't many places where they can get away with starting 15th now, no matter how brilliantly drivable that is. Because as Jake was saying, you never know when someone's just going to ram into the back of your gearbox at a hairpin. And, and you're right, right? <laughs> if you're leaving yourself a hostage to fortune that way, it, it's not a traditional way of going around winning a championship. And I think there's a very good reason for that. You know, what, what you want to be is, a, is a, the master of your own destiny. And, and that's out front and racing with people who've got something you know, that they share in common with you and that mutually you don't want a DNF, right? Whereas if you're at the back with someone who's scrabbling for an unlikely point, they're going to take a risk. And that, and that's when, you know, things happen that derail you. And a four-point lead is, is effectively nothing now, right? They've gone from having a, a race winner and more in hand to literally nothing. With, without having shockers along the way. Like you say, there was the one retirement yeah. in Cape Town, but fourth, seventh, sixth, seventh. But it's just not the, the big scores that we've seen from 
Nick Cassidy, four podiums in the last five races, four points off Verline in the championship lead. And he's just, he's, he, even though you see him in all of the races, he just feels sort of quiet somehow still. Do you know what I mean? Like Hyderabad, it looked like he was set to win, but it was a flat out race by the time he caught up with Verne, didn't get there, finished second. Third in Cape Town after a, to be fair, he wasn't in the fight there and had that collision with Fenestraz. But against Sao Paulo, he's right there, but you never quite thought he was going to make the move on Evans. And then the win in Berlin. So he's the most sort of under the radar second places and wins that I've, that I can remember seeing. And I don't, I don't, I don't know why that is. And I, don't, and I don't really know what I mean by it either. <laughs> no, it's an unusual phenomenon. When, I, when um, Nicky was interviewing him in the paddock post-race, going, the most consistent driver in the series, like, is he? Yeah. And then you look at the points, it's like, oh, he is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, where, where has that come from? It's Yeah, I think it's because he tends to not be the one getting involved at the front, like swapping the lead and dropping back and all of those sort of things. He just sort of sets out his stall and and delivers it from there. And I don't know if that's a product of that sort of uh, way he raced um, in Japan, where obviously they have an enormous amount of success ballast and it's rare that you win more than one or two races a season. It's it's all about those sort of uh, bringing home the points when you can. And it's absolutely serving him well. And he's on an incredible run of form. If he can, if he keeps up that level of scoring he'll he'll win it by miles yeah no really really impressive stuff from from Cassidy there's no doubt about that and I think his his um his teammate Buemi must be feeling a bit frustrated because Buemi's not had a podium this year Cassidy's had four in five but Buemi's always there or thereabouts pole position on the first day in Berlin pole in Diria he had that podium taken away from him in uh Hyderabad but he hasn't quite been able to sort of repeat what what Cassidy has managed at the at the moment up at the front. So who looking at the championship standings VDB, who do you think is are, are we we're at the halfway point of the year. Are we seeing a breakaway or are we not? Is is it the top 5? Verline, Cassidy, Vern, Dennis and Evans is the champion coming from there now or is Bird in still in, in seventh still in contention. Bird Bird is possibly still in contention. I think Boemi's too far behind Cassidy now that Envision will have if if they if they're close on track they're going to have to play the team game there. I think Bird's probably one race weekend away from finding himself in a supporting position. Yeah. Um. Be, just because it, it makes no sense, and then likewise with the cost in six, that he's going to have to play back up to to Verline too. So you probably are looking at that top five, looking further down the grid. Van Dorn's just. F- far too far behind um so even if he i'm sure he's going to win a race before the season's out he's far too good not to um but it's difficult to see anyone putting a run together from there so i think it's probably five for the prize but i'll give bird the benefit of the doubt for one more race weekend okay (laughs) yeah Uh, and finally we should probably well this is one of those things where i feel like we should mention it but i don't really know what to say about it there were some (laughs) protesters yeah there were some protesters that uh, leapt onto the track just before the race started sat down in front of the cars there was a i don't know how long the delay was maybe five minutes or something and then security came and removed the protesters and then the race started i sort of don't really have much more to, to say than that uh, someone shared with me this morning and we didn't do it i absolutely promise you that they'd photoshopped the sign that they were holding to say bring back v10s uh, <laughs> 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 and uh, I, I don't i don't really want to make light of it because it's one uh i think the climate con- uh 
cause is is very much one to get behind but why you would protest an electric car race seem is is an enormous lack of joined up thinking um but two also there was there was a protest at the grand national obviously last year at the grand prix we had one and and uh, and obviously the snooker. His, yeah oh yes of course yeah putting a and it, it looks as though there's going to be a few more of these. Uh, obviously, historically, when the, the suffragette movement was doing this, it ultimately ended with uh, someone getting killed. And I really, really hope that that's not the way that this uh, is moving. But if you're going to jump on the track at a motor race, inevitably, somebody is going to get hurt. And um, for all the uh, worthiness of what they might be trying to get done, I, I really don't want uh, that, or particularly an innocent bystanding driver to get suckered into that. So, you know and of course what happens after this inevitably is you get stricter security and that means we all got to go for the r sake of you know having everything checked <laughs> and whatnot and it just uh, just ends up uh, annoying me um so i don't know what it achieved really i really don't um uh but yeah at least it didn't really uh, was it they say five minute delay so there we yeah. go move on yeah exactly right we are heading to Monaco, the streets of the Principality. Pascal Verlein was leading there last year uh, until his car broke down. And I think Cassidy, was was it Cassidy's first race in Monaco last year? I think. I think he'd moved there a couple of years ago, but had never actually raced there. So a Verlein versus Cassidy fight at the front. But again, everyone is going to be at the front. And I think we'll be in for a more standard race than we've than we've seen previously. Um, I don't think it's going to be quite as as slipstream crazy. I think it'll still be important because actually, remember that great race in season five or six? I can't remember. When, you know, the great race when DaCosta beat Evans. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. When I was, I was like, Evans cost himself the win by doing an overtake up the hill into Beau Ravage. Like wonderful overtake, but that's what cost him the win because he used too much energy making yes. the overtake. Uh, and I, I, I can't wait. It's going to be fascinating. It, it won't be uh, like the, the Tempelhof races. We won't be talking about a record number of over. We might be talking about a record number of overtakes from Monaco. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm willing to stake whatever amount on it that it's a considerably more exciting race than the F1 Grand Prix there a few weeks afterwards. Um, and I've got a sneaky feeling that Jeff might pull one out of the bag there. I just, uh, yeah, that, okay. that's... Um, I, I, my tip for the race weekend watch him finish 12th or something there uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly well well you just never know in formula e do we and that's what makes it so good exactly vdb thank you very much for 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 joining me this week we'll be back after monaco with another uh podcast thank you to jake hughes as well for joining us and thank you to sam smith for leaving us in peace for once meaning this is a, a relatively short podcast because we didn't have him giving eight minute answers so yeah it's, it's been <laughs> It's been good. Right. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, thank you for joining. And don't forget, there's all the other race podcasts, the aforementioned Bring Back V10s. There's always a new Formula One podcast coming out every half hour or so by the by the, by the the feels of it sometimes. And uh, keep up to date with everything on the-race.com for all your motorsport news. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you after Monaco. The Athletic.